Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 7. I trust you're having a wonderful morning. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your mercy and love to us. We thank you for waking us to a brand new day. We thank you for the good night's rest. We pray that you'll bless us now in the meditation of your word. May you guide us by your Holy Spirit to understand your will for us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been listening, we've uh, been going through the life of Jacob. We're on to buying the birthright. You see, Jacob had set his heart on securing the birthright from his brother. Divine providence would have exalted him to the dignity and privileges of that birthright. But as I mentioned in episode 6, he made the mistake of Abraham in not waiting for God to fulfill his purpose in his own time and way. In this episode, Esau appears at Jacob's tent door, faint and exhausted. Now Jacob sees his advantage and takes it. Let's read about it. In Genesis 25, verses 29 to 31, I'm reading. And Jacob sod pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, which means red. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. Here Jacob makes a decision in a moment that would impact his life forever. It's not often that we're presented with these kind of moments. It's those moments that if we're not in connection with God on a personal level, the devil will take advantage of us. And he did right here with Jacob. You see, Jacob had been obsessed so long with making things happen for himself that when the opportunity came, Jacob took it. Now in life, I know, success depends upon us seizing the opportunity and acting upon it. Carpe diem, as they say, seize the day. But make sure it's God's way first. When you're living a life without a personal experience with God, you can't help but make a mess of things eventually. And we'll see that Jacob did just that. If Jacob was meditating upon God's will trusting him to work all things out for good, he would have satisfied the request of a brother in need, with no strings attached. That's true hospitality. That is the character of God. Instead, in this situation here, with Esau at his tent door, Jacob takes advantage of the weakness of his brother's character, and in doing so, displayed the deformity of his own. Though it was a clever plot on his part, Jacob failed to reflect the character that God expects in the possessor of the spiritual birthright. You see, it is never the will of God to take advantage of a person's weakness. Proverbs states it clearly in Proverbs 3 verse 29, Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. I can't begin to explain the outrage I feel when I see the innocent, especially the weak and ignorant, taken advantage of. Alan White, my favorite Christian author, puts it this way, God's word teaches us to put ourselves in the place of those whom with we are dealing, to look not only on our own things, but also on the things of others. He who would take advantage of another's misfortunes in order to benefit himself, or who seeks to profit himself through another's weakness or incompetence, is a transgressor both of the principles and of the precepts of the Word of God. And that's from her book, The Ministry of Healing, page 187. 
I imagine for some years, Jacob had been devising ways of taking the birthright from Esau. And I'm sure in this situation, Jacob well knew his scheme would subject him to the, to the uh, displeasure of God. That's what can happen so easily when we fall into the same trap as Jacob. You know something is wrong, but you go ahead and do it anyway. To paraphrase the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, For the good that I want to do, I don't do, but the evil which I don't want to do, I end up doing. So why is that? In many cases, I believe it's because we entertain the thought about doing something for so long that when the first opportunity comes, you can't help but do it. And that just demonstrates the reality that sin begins within, with the desires of the mind, not our actions. Jesus made that clear in his Sermon on the Mount. The principles of God's law reach to the heart. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote that the law of God points out sin in our hearts. In Romans 7, he put it this way, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. You see, lust is unrestrained desire. Covetousness is eagerly desiring something that is not yours. That desire leads us to take advantage of others to get as much as we can for ourselves. And when we cherish it, we can't help but make the same kind of decision that Jacob made, regardless of principle. It's only by living out the principles of God's law from the heart can we avoid sin. But how? Paul wrote in Romans, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. That's what it's like in our human natures. We want to do the right thing, but how to do the right thing consistently, we're not going to find that. But that's where God comes in. For God, we read here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God who is producing in you both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. That's Isaiah, or rather that's Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 from the ISV. Now isn't that what we want? To do what pleases God? Well, the good news is that God is working to produce in you not only the, the desire to please him, but also the ability to do it. If you'll let him. That's how you realize God's pleasure. You know, ironically, the birthright promises that Jacob so much wanted included God's promise to write the principles of the law on his heart. That's what God did with Abraham, and he declared of him. Abraham, in Genesis 26 verse 5, I'm reading this, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. But Jacob was far from that kind of character. Until Jacob learned to trust God personally and commit his way unto him, God's purpose for him was never going to come to pass. He needed to follow one of my favorite passages in the Bible. If, like Jacob, you're facing a dilemma right now, not knowing what to do, here's God's word for you. It's Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's his promise to you. Verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. The fear of the Lord, or fear the Lord, I should say, and depart from evil. Now instead of doing this, Jacob relied on his own wits and took advantage of his brother. The wrong Jacob practiced here would have dire consequences for himself and his family. Let's read further in Genesis 25, verse 32 to 33. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he sware unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Can you believe that? Esau was so given over to the desires of the flesh that he had little regard for what the birthright meant, a double portion of his father's wealth. And his father was a very wealthy man, as we saw in episode 3. And the spiritual privileges that went with that wealth. Esau treated the birthright as a commodity that you could buy today at one price and then sell again tomorrow at another, or buy back at another price another time just as easily. Here we see that the pitfalls of living for pleasure, feeling no need to restrain appetites, comes in. This was Esau's weakness. This is so contrary to the Christian life. In the episode Birthday Blessings, Who Gets Them?, we learnt that those who get them are those who, as Romans 13 verse 14 puts it, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, those who pursue righteousness, which is godliness, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What that means is, don't put yourself in the way of temptation. Don't bring things into your life which you know are going to be a reason to leave God out of it. Whatever you do, whatever you watch, whatever you listen to, you want the blessing of God. You want to be able to ask, is this what Jesus would do? And if the answer is no, then get rid of it or stop it, whatever it is. You see, Esau had been making provision for his flesh by not holding back when he should have. In the process of deciding on something, God was usually in the back seat, rarely allowed control. Sadly, Esau's approach to life would have dire consequences for himself and for his descendants. So the takeaway for me today is this. Esau's attitude was like many today. Whatever feels good must be right, so do it. But the Christian attitude is this. If something is right, do it and it will feel good afterwards. But this requires self-discipline. You see, the Christian life is a battle and a march. It's not easy being a Christian. Jesus said, in fact, that it's a troubled gate to enter it. That is, to enter the Christian life is a troubled gate, let alone to walk in that life. In, in uh, Matthew, verses, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, he says it this way, Enter ye in at the straight gate. That's S-T-R-A-I-T. Don't get confused with S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, which I did for many years as a child growing up. It's, it's the word straight, which means troubled, as in dire straits. That is S-T-R-A-I-T-S. You know, Jesus said that the gate is straight or troubled when it comes to entering into this following Jesus. 
Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Now to do this requires discipline. That's why Jesus' first followers were called disciples. That is D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-S. It's from the word discipline. They were walking in the path of self-denial. As Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's Luke 9 verse 23. The Apostle Paul realized this himself. And he realized that to do this requires self-discipline and self-control. He says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The body may be a good servant, you see, but it's a bad master. Unless the soul keeps the body under, the body gets above the soul. So may Jesus help us to carpe diem, seize the day, but God's way, a way of self-denial and obedience. Instead of scheming on how we can bless ourselves today, let's take the blessings we have, the time, the talents, the means God has given us, and plan on how we can bless others like Jesus did. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the your love and mercy to us. We thank you for this meditation this morning. We ask you to help us to learn from it, to learn of the follies of cherishing evil in our hearts, of cherishing, um, you know, trying to work out things for ourselves without taking you into consideration. Help us to learn to trust you, to trust in you with all our heart and acknowledge you in all our ways and allow you to, to uh, direct our paths. This is my prayer for us this morning, that in doing so, we will live a life of blessing and help to those who are ignorant, to those who are weak, to those who are out of the way, no matter where they are, no matter who they are, and no matter where we are and, we're, and uh, what we're doing today, may we always do this. So this is my wish and prayer for us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the 7am Bible. I trust you've gained a blessing. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, have a great day. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7am Bible. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of He came to save.